This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. It is Tuesday, March 30th. It is the afternoon of Tuesday, March 30th, and we are so close to opening day, which from our point of view, will have kicked off in just about 48 hours from now. And Matt and I usually record on Thursdays. We didn't want to do that this week. So what we're going to do is we are going to do one last kind of season preview piece. If you've been a fan of this show or its predecessor, you've heard us do this bit before. Matt and I have each selected 30 interesting facts, one per team, 60 total facts. We've gone back and done this to 2017. I don't think we did it last year because, you know, reasons. But we're going to do it this year, and it's kind of just a fun way to go through each team. Some of them are stat cast facts. Some of them are trivia questions. Some of them are just traditional metrics and uh, just kind of a fun way to catch up on each team before the season gets started. So we are going to start in the American League East. And, and Matt, I'm going to kick this one over to you. Where is Where are you starting with your Atlanta Braves number? I'm starting with Max Fried, their opening day opening day starter, um, who last year in 2020 had the lowest hard hit hate hard hit rate allowed of all major league pitchers. Uh, that's batted balls 95 plus miles per hour um, at 23.8. A lot of people wonder how Max Fried can be an ace or near ace with a uh, pedestrian, not pedestrian, but not elite, not elite strikeout rate. And there you go. He limits. Uh, Hard contact. I will also give you a bonus Max Freed fact. He is the first left-hander to start opening day for the Braves since Tom Glavin in 2002. Very good. I love Max Freed. I love his curveball. I love his fastball. I don't understand how he lowered his ERA by a run and a half while getting fewer strikeouts, more walks. <laughs> and like that shouldn't work that way. Um, and yet here we are. Here, here's mine because this one kind of blew my mind a little bit. My number for Atlanta is 551, 5.51. That was their rotation ERA last year, 551. It was the third worst in baseball. Excuse me, it was the the, the um, highest in the National League, yes, and third worst in, in, in um, MLB. And I was shocked because I think of the Braves as having like talent. I think of Freed. I know Soroka got hurt and Ian Anderson's been very good. And then I went back and I looked at who actually started for them last year. And it was like, oh, right. Uh, Josh Tomlin and Oscar Anoa. Oh, they had to trade for Tommy Malone. Oh, and Robbie Erlin. And I kind of had just forgotten how, uh, you know, bare the cupboard had gotten. And I think it's going to be better this year, right? Sirico will be back. More Anderson. Charlie Morton's there. Drew Smiley. Um, but I, I just, I did not remember things being that bad for them last year. And they still won the division anyway. All right, Miami. Um, I, I like my Miami fact, so I'm going to kind of skip ahead of you and just jump to mine here. My number for Miami is four, and that is four teams have gone through an entire season of 162 starts where all of them have come from pitchers 26 years old or younger. Um, the teams are weird, like the 74 Cubs and the 90 White Sox aren't that interesting. The 2003 Tigers 
arguably the worst team of all time, but the 2008 Devil Rays went to the World Series. So I don't know what this they means. They were the Rays. They were, they were already the Rays. Well, fine. Um, but the, the Miami rotation is, is very young. Nobody is older than 26 in their projected rotation. I'm sure they'll screw this up when like, you know, Dylan Flora opens a game or something like that. But I would love to see if they can make it through the entire year with only starting pitchers who are 26 or younger. Yeah, their rotation's a lot of fun. My fact, which is less exciting, is about their hitting, uh, which is why a lot of people are thinking they're not going to be very good this year. <laughs> me, I went it's through, me. <laughs> <laughs> I went through the rankings on fan graphs of uh, the steamer projection system, weighted on base average uh, projected rankings. The highest ranked Marlins hitter ranks 106th. Um, that's Jesus Aguilar. So uh, you can see why people are down on the Marlins. There's uh, the pitching exciting, the offense, not so much. Uh, yeah, that's wow. Really? Jesus Aguiar is their best projected hitter. That's yep. not great. Um, I picked them fifth, but I honestly, I wanted to pick Washington fifth. I just couldn't do it because Juan Soto is on that team. We'll get to them in a second. Here's my Mets number. And it is not whatever dollar figure Steve Cohen is tweeting about with Francisco Lindor at the moment. It is 334. And I should preface this by saying, cause a couple of these stats are going to reference this. Um, Spring training has never really had StatCast data before outside of one park. You know, previous years, it was just Salt River Fields in Arizona where the Diamondbacks and Rockies play. This year, a bunch of the Florida parks have it as well. So we have some spring training data. 334 feet is how deep Brandon Nimmo has played in center field this spring. And I found that fascinating because if you look at how deep he's played in center field dating back to 2016, it has gone like this. 308, 311, 314. 315, 323, 334, which would make him the deepest center fielder if he was to do that this year. And it's not a fluke. Like he's actually talked about this. He says he's more comfortable coming in. Um, I don't know if you remember, Matt, but like five years ago or so, like <laughs> mediocre defenders moving back was like a big thing. Didn't we talk about this with like Hutchin yeah, and Fowler? somebody else i can't remember desmond i think yeah maybe somebody like that and um it seemed like it worked for those guys i I think you know the big topic of the mets offseason was should they have gotten a better defensive center fielder than nimmo he's not great obviously i don't even think he's average but i don't think he's going to kill you either and if he's cutting off some of those extra base hits i'm cool with that so this is something i'm going to watch because he's clearly already doing yeah the uh the uh anthony decomo did a piece this week on mets.com about the Mets uh, beefing up their analytics operation. And obviously this is generally kind of a basic thing, but um, the Mets have kind of been behind the curve in a lot of uh, 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 analytics and how they use it on the field. They hired um, uh, one of the guys from the Dodgers R&D department. I forget his name. Um, ben Zausmer, who's ben also Zausmer. doing like Oscar picks. <laughs> yes. Um, and they're, they're, they're really uh, investing a lot in, uh, in building out his group. So it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself on the field. My Mets stat is very straightforward. Um, I felt like I had to, but of course I felt I had to do something related to Francisco Lindor. Um, my number is 23. That is the most home runs in a season by a Mets shortstop, which believe it or not is by as Cabrera in wow. 2016. The only 20 homer season by a Mets shortstop in history. Um, Francisco Lindor on his own has three career 30 homer seasons. So uh, you would think he'd be well positioned to uh, set a new uh, franchise mark for Mets shortstops. The Mets have been around for kind of a long time. I'm a little surprised that they've never topped 23 from a shortstop. But I, I guess if you go back, like, you know, Bud Harrelson wasn't going to be that guy either. Leo Donez was not going to be that guy. <laughs> right. Uh, name a 70s Mets shortstop. I guess 
don't. Um, okay, so my we're going to go to the Phillies. My Phillies fact is plus 2.8. That's 2.8 miles an hour. And that is Jose Alvarado's miles per hour increase from last regular season to this spring training. Now, it's not like he was a, a soft tosser before. That's up from 98.9 to 101.7. And that number is the, the highest average miles per hour of any pitcher with at least 20 regular season pitches last year. Again, we're not tracking most of the Cactus League, so it's not like somebody else couldn't have done this. But the Phillies bullpen was so like horrendously, you know, just historically poor last year that if you can get the version of Alvarado, who a couple years ago looked like kind of a big deal for the Rays, I think that's enormous for the Phillies. Like they don't go anywhere if this bullpen isn't better. And they got Archie Bradley and a couple other guys. And I think if Alvarado can add some velocity and maybe throw strikes, um, that could really help them in the East. Yeah, and he's a lot of fun to watch. His his fastball has some real life on it. It's uh, so uh, I'll uh, I'll be watching. Uh, my uh, Bryce Harper fact. I'm oh, sorry. My Phillies fact is Bryce Harper. Thirty nine point one percent. That is the lowest percent of pitches seen in the strike zone in 2020. Um, I feel like we've talked about this before on the podcast with Harper, but I, I I can't. I always go back to it just because. It seems like anytime there's one of these stories where they pull players and they're like, who's the most overrated player in baseball? Bryce Harper invariably <laughs> comes up, and yet pitchers clearly treat him like he's a very good hitter because they don't give him much to hit in the zone. So it's a pretty clear indication that his peers um, respect him as a hitter. And he was really good last year, kind of went uh, a little bit under the radar. But he was, I think it was, uh, from, in terms of rate stats, it was his best season since his MVP season in 2015. Yeah, when you're not seeing pitches in the zone, that usually means one of two things. It means pitchers think you will chase anything or they've got a lot of respect for you crushing a ball that's in the strike zone. And I know which one of those applies to Bryce Harper. Uh, Harper's old team in Washington, here's my number for the Nationals, 588. And that is Trey Turner's slugging percentage last year. Did you know that Trey Turner outslugged every shortstop in baseball, including Corey Seager and Fernando Tatis and everybody else? Now, I know it's not all power. Some of it's, you know, turning singles and the doubles and doubles and the triples, and that's fine. It still all counts as slugging. Um, he was really good. Like, I don't think people paid enough attention to how good he was. I know it was a short season, but he's been good in the past, too. I did not realize that. Um, I knew he had a great season. Didn't realize it was quite that good. Um, my national stat is about, I had to go, when you went with Turner, I had to go with Juan Soto. It's actually one number four times, 90, 90, 90, 90. Juan Soto in 2020 was in the 90th, 90th percentile or above in hard hit rate, average exit velocity, barrel rate, and walk rate. Uh, <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> it was quite good. Um, I think you know we're going to see the closest thing we've seen to a Barry Bond season uh, this season from Juan Soto. That's my 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 hot take. He is also in the 99th percentile in being Ted Williams. To be totally honest, <laughs> all right. We will take a very quick break and we will come back and go through the National League Central. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. 
The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. And we're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Picciarillo and Matt Myers. We are each choosing an interesting number for the 30 teams. We just went through the National League East. We're going to move on to the National League Central. We're going to start with the Cubs. And, um, you know, Matt and I have like a shared document for this, even though we do it independently. And I just realized we both picked Javi Baez here. Uh, Different numbers, but related, uh, I think. Mine is uh, 256. That's his 256 weighted on base average from last year. He was the weakest qualified hitter in the National League, the weakest. And you can talk about small sample size seasons, and he's talked about not having access to video and whatever. That cannot happen again. He is too good. I refuse to believe that's going to happen again. And I think just by inertia, he and Bryant and Rizzo will all have better hitting seasons this year. You also have a hobby bias fact. I did. I do, I should say. Um, 31.9%. That was a career-high strikeout rate for Javi Baez last year, coupled with a career-low walk rate of 3%. Baez has always been a player who who's at the extremes uh, as a hitter, you know, chases a lot of pitches. Um, so the line is pretty – it's a fine line he walks. And um, I think he's one of the most interesting players uh, for 2021, for that, you know, kind of for that reason, because – when he's on, he's one of the most exciting players in baseball, but he's never going to be a high OBP guy. So he really needs to be making quality contact. And the Cubs cannot come, you know, they, they need the 2019, 2018, 19 version of Baez back if they want to compete in the central. I also just think he's one of the more fun players in the game. And he's also part of this, you know, this free agent class of shortstops for next year that could kind of be historic, but might also end up being like, it's unclear. As we record this, we don't know, you know, if Francisco Lindor is going to sign an extension with the Mets. Um, Corey Seager will probably end up back with the Dodgers, is my guess. And then you have um, Carlos Correa and Baez, who are both huge wild cards. And Trevor Story. Yes. Well, then, and then their story. So, like, you could go into next year where it's really just kind of like story that people are really excited about and available because, like. Baez and Correa, you don't really know what you're going to you, what you're going to be looking at here from now. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I do think people are overrating that class as though all five of those guys will a be available and b be coming off superstar seasons. I'm pretty excited about both of our Reds facts here. Now, if you know me at all, you know I don't tend to look at batting average. So the fact that I'm using batting average for this one should tell you how interesting I think this is. Two twelve. That is what the Reds had for batting average last year. That is the second lowest mark in the history of modern baseball since 1901, second only to the 1910 White Sox and their 211. Uh, the Reds also made the playoffs last year. And I bring this up not to dump on the Reds. I actually, like, I just predicted the Reds, the Reds to be second place in the National League because I look up and down this roster and there's nobody who can be this bad again. You know, like, you know, I think Jonathan India will be decent. I think, um, you know, Winker was already good. I think you have to get more out of Castellanos and Senzel and Akiyama. And I really like the pitching. Like, I'm in on the Reds pitching, even without Bauer. I think the offense will be competent, but I can guarantee you they will not have one of the worst batting averages in the history of baseball again. 
I will, in fact, I will double down on your Reds fact before I get to my own Reds fact because I read this in the Joe Sheehan newsletter yesterday. The Reds' 245 batting average on balls in play last year was the second worst in modern history behind only the Yankees' 241 mark in 1968, the year of the pitcher. Last year, <laughs> the Reds' 245 BABIP was seven points worse than any team's BABIP since the mound was lowered in 1969. So, yes, there is an indication that their offense will improve a little bit. But I should also note, as I cite the um, Joshia newsletter, um, big thanks to the MLB.com research department and also the MLB Network research department, who I will admit helped me a lot with these <laughs> with, with the facts that we have, with you have here uh, today. Although one fact they did not help me with is my Reds fact, which is a trivia question that I'm going to pose uh, to uh, Mike. My number is 2008. And that is the last time someone not named Joey Votto started at first base for the started at first base on opening day for the Reds. Mike, can you guess who that was? So I saw this question yesterday in our document, and I, I promised you I wouldn't cheat, and I did not cheat, but I thought about it. And there's a small part of me that wants to say Adam Dunn, but I think it's actually Scott Hatterberg. That's amazing. Is it Scott Hatterberg? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's kind of amazing too, because like I, Scott Hatterberg is kind of like a really, really poor man's Joey Votto. So it's like they had the really poor man's Joey Votto, <laughs> and then they just like you know, like it's like they hit they hit the upgrade button meme, and it just like went from like Hatterberg to Votto and had him in their lineup, and he's uh, back from uh, about with COVID nineteen and set to start at opening day, uh, first base on opening day again. That'll be fun when like whatever year it is, he doesn't start there twenty twenty four or whatever. Then you can still look back and say Scott Hatterberg, wow. Um, Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, I don't know why I ordered Pittsburgh in the middle of this. I thought I went alphabetically, but clearly I did not. That's okay. My number for Pittsburgh is plus 12.4 percentage points. That is Colin Moran's increase in barrel rate, um, from 35% to 47%. So plus 12 and a half ticks is the seventh best increase in baseball. And I feel like Colin Moran is his perpetual prospect who I'm never ready to let go of. He came over in the Garrett Cole trade. Um, he's no longer a third baseman. He's a first baseman now because Brian Hayes has third base, which means he's really got a hit. But they um, they cut loose Todd Frazier, so I thought there was going to be a platoon there, and now it's not. So this feels like Colin Moran's last best chance, and I'm kind of in, right? He's been okay with the Pirates, like a 102 OPS plus. I still think there's thunder in that bat, and I'm going to be so disappointed at the end of the year looking back and saying I still believed. I mean, if you're Colin Moran, I mean, obviously everyone wants to plan a winning team, but this is like this is his chance. Like, right? He's going to get. He's going to play every day. So, if there was ever an opportunity for him to sort of establish himself, and he's not young anymore, but like he could still have kind of be like a late bloomer kind of guy. This is it. So, um, it's. I guess it's. I don't want to say now or never, but it kind of feels that way. Um, my Pirates fact: We had to go with a Cabrian Hayes fact. Um, Eighteen point one. That was. Cabrian Hayes' whiff rate in 2020. That was the lowest among all players with a hard hit rate above 50%, minimum 50 batted balls in play. Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman were next on that list. That's good company for Hayes. Yes, he had a high batting average on balls in play, which we talked about with Sarah Langs last week, but this stat is reason to believe that um, he's going to be a really good hitter, and we know he can field. So uh, there, he is the, the, the biggest reason to watch the Pirates this year. That's actually what I'm interested in. What what is Arenado up to? Like seven straight gold gloves at third, eight, something like that. I want to know if um if Hayes can be the guy who breaks that streak. Cause he he's got to be the best bet for it. I don't I don't know if he'll get it this year, but I I feel like he could be. Um 
Milwaukee. Milwaukee, who I picked to win the National League Central. And I feel like that's surprising to a lot of people. It's mostly because I love their pitching and I love their defense. Um, you know, understanding that their offense isn't great. And a big part of this is that my expectation is that Christian Yelich is going to bounce back and have another monster season. I'm willing to look past his 2020. So my number here is minus 13.7 percentage points. Uh, that is Christian Yelich's zone swing decline. Basically what that means in 2019, he swung at 70% of pitches in the strike zone. And last year, he swung at 56.7% of pitches in the strike zone. That was the second lowest. And I think that was a big part of his problem is he was just passive. You know, like he was letting these hittable pitches go by, like his walk rate was up, which is nice. But I would rather see him put some damage on those baseballs. And I am hopeful that with like a regular season and more video, he will um, be a little more aggressive and pound baseballs and fuel the Brewers to a division championship. Um, you mentioned the Brewers pitching. Uh, my stat is about their pitching and their 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 what I you know probably their best starting pitcher, Brandon Woodruff, who led all MLB pitchers last year with 63 strikeouts on fastballs. Woodruff is finally starting to get a little helium this year. I think is maybe like a I don't want to say dark horse Cy Young candidate, but kind of just you know in the conversation of better you know better pitchers in the National League. Um, he can dominate with that fastball. I have a soft spot for Woodruff because I was in the ballpark for game one of the NLCS in 2018 when he homered off Clayton Kershaw, <laughs> which was just wild because like, you know, Brewers fans didn't know what to do with themselves. And it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is, it is cool that pitcher set. I'm, I'm, I'm still, still pro DH at this point, but it was one of those moments where you were glad that pitcher burned. That is a good one. I'm super in on um, Brandon Woodruff and the whole Milwaukee pitching staff. Finally, for the Central, the Cardinals, my number, 72.7%. That is Justin Williams's spring training 2021 hard hit rate, right? So a hard hit ball is 95 miles an hour of exit velocity or more. Um, he had 72% of his tracked batted balls be a hard hit ball. That is the best in spring training, um, minimum of 10 batted balls. Once again, we're not tracking most of Arizona, so take that with an enormous grain of salt. But I think that's kind of a big deal because you look at the Cardinals outfield and Fowler got traded. Harrison Bader is hurt. So the starting outfield right now is something along the lines of Tyler O'Neill. Dylan Carlson and Justin Williams, which is like enormously risky. What, what was the stat we had last week? Like those three had fewer combined career plate appearances than Adam Wainwright, you know, which tells you a little bit. Um, when looking at Justin Williams, I had known off the top of my head he was acquired from Tampa Bay in the Tommy Pham trade. I did not realize that before that, the Rays had acquired him from Arizona in the wait for it, J- Jeremy Hellickson trade. So yeah, he's been kicking around for a while. Um, I, Again, do not want to put too much into spring training. I did not look up what kind of pitchers he was hitting off of, but still, three quarters of your your balls being hit um, over ninety five miles an hour is something. And man, they they need one of these guys to be good at least. Um, my uh, Cardinals fact is about a pitcher who did not uh, pitch last year, um, which Jordan Hicks, who was a sensation in 2019 for being. You know, the hardest thrower in baseball. In fact, over the course of 2018 and 2019, he led the majors with 879 pitches of 100 miles per hour and above. That was more than twice as many as number two on the list, our old friend Tehran Guerrero, who had 384 yes. <laughs> in yes. that time span. So Hicks is back. It looks like he's got the velo back. He had started to miss bats. Um, but he got hurt what, in the middle of the 2019 season. What? I can't remember when he got hurt. Yeah. Um, but he he had, he had, his first year he was throwing hard and wasn't really missing bats, and then he started to figure it out. So 
uh, it'll be fun to see him unleashed uh, in a full season again. I have two quick Jordan Hicks facts. One is whenever I tweet about him, his mom always likes it, which I find absolutely charming. And the second was um, he had that 22 pitch at bat against Luis Guillorme a couple weeks ago. And I know that was like a big thing and it got lots of play. And all I could think to myself was you throw 105 miles an hour and you can't get a get a ball back past Luis Guillorme. Like I know he makes good contact, but like this is not giving me confidence about your bat missing skills. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Shall we move on to the National League West? Uh, we will start with Arizona. My number here, 48.5%. That is from Zach Gallon. I know he's injured, but he's supposed to hopefully be back soon. That is uh, the percentage of pitches he throws on the edges of the strike zone. So like one baseball width around the top and sides of the strike zone. 48.5% of his pitches are on the edges, highest in baseball. Um, I got that from a, a piece David Adler wrote a couple of weeks ago about how he's like got Maddox-esque qualities and I can see it. Like I'm really high on Zach Gallon, and I was pretty disappointed to see that he's hurt and hopefully it's nothing that lingers because I the Diamondbacks need him obviously, but I just want to watch him pitch. As someone who has Zach Gallon as a keeper in his fantasy team, I was also <laughs> disappointed <laughs> by this development. Um, my uh, Diamondbacks fact is status 30.7. That was the sprint speed of Tim Locastro in 2020, the average sprint speed, which was the fastest in the majors. I just love the fact that a guy from Ithaca, Division Three Ithaca College is the fastest person in the uh, in the uh, the major leagues. I love that he's the fastest and also that he gets hit the most. Like, what a weird combination of skills to have. Um, the Rockies are next. And um, it's funny because I know I said, like, when looking at 2021 spring training StatCast data, we mostly only have it in Florida, except the one park we do have it for is the one shared by um, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks in Arizona. So if you play in one of those two teams, you have a decent amount of data, only home games. Obviously, the grain of salt here could not be larger. And yet, my fact here is 19. CJ Crone had the most hard hit balls in spring training. And think about that. Only home games for him were tracked. You know, some of the guys in Florida probably had like 90% of their home and road games tracked. CJ Crone had the most hard hit balls, and we know that half of his his batted balls couldn't even be tracked. Um, he also had a 115.8 mile an hour double. That was the fifth hardest hit ball this spring. And we all know the Rockies are not going to be very good. And we know that Crone has bounced around a lot. But I am excited to see a man that powerful hitting a course field. I, I think that will make for some very, very fun highlights. And I'm excited for his inevitable, let's see, 220, 240, 560, 42 home run season. I mean, have the, have the, um, I'm trying to think when the last time the, the, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting someone like the Rockies had just someone who was just like a pure, just straight up power guy. Like I guess Mark Reynolds ahead. That's exactly who I was going to say. Yeah. I could see, um, Something approaching 500 feet uh, from 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 Crown this year. Um, my uh, Rockies facts about Trevor Story is something I did not realize that he leads the majors with 191 extra base hits over the last three years. I mean, I knew he was good, um, but that really stood out to me. And uh, he's 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 a superstar, probably his last year in Colorado. So uh, Rockies fans will enjoy him while he lasts. Yeah, and I, I should add those. Like that total is not just fueled by his home park. Like he's just objectively a very good hitter. And sure, some of its cores and the big outfield and doubles and triples fine. But I, I think he'd be fine no matter where he went. And um, I think that you know, I think that probably if, if anyone is a, a, appreciates what uh, DJ LeMahieu has done the last yeah. couple of years, it's <laughs> yeah. Trevor Story because I think that will probably help him in free agency. My Dodgers. So we're going to the Dodgers now, and there's no shortage of things that you could go with the Dodgers. I thought about going with 116, which was the 2001 Mariners win total because that'll be their target. But I went with something 
uh, much, much smaller. And it's another StatCast uh, data point from spring training. And again, ignore most spring training numbers. Like uh, if you want to look at some ridiculous numbers, you could say that Matt Carpenter had two hits in the entire spring training. That's bad. But some of the things um, that are, are important more quickly are like velocity and spin rate and stuff. So Jimmy Nelson, this was just yesterday. Um, this is actually was not in Arizona. They were playing in Dodger Stadium against the Angels in the freeway series. Jimmy Nelson maxed out his fastball last night at 96.1 miles an hour. Now, if you don't know the Jimmy Nelson story very quickly, he was like an up and coming ace for the Brewers, you know, five or so years ago. And he had like this breakout season in 2017. And he was, he was, I can't remember if he was hitting or if he'd already reached first base, but he was diving into first base uh, to get back before a tag and he injured his shoulder. And it basically completely sidetracked his career. He was injured and ineffective for the Brewers, signed with the Dodgers last year. I don't think he ever actually got into a game, but now he's back this year. So anyway, 96.1 miles an hour on his fastball that, uh, last night. Here's how many times he had touched 96 between 2018 and 2020. One time, once. And he threw seven curveballs last night and he topped his spin rate. His average spin rate was just over 3,000. That would be the highest curveball spin rate in a game he has ever had. And the Dodgers obviously have a reputation for getting the most out of guys. And I don't think you're ever going to see like that 200 inning starter the Brewers thought he might be. But if he's like their number eight starter or he's throwing some innings out of the bullpen, what do the Dodgers need? More talent. Um, yeah, my along those lines, my uh, my Dodger stat is 615 as in their win percentage in the regular season from 2016 through 2020. Uh, for context, the Yankees from 1996 through 2000, when they won four World Series, their win percentage was 602 in that span. So, um, incidentally, the Braves actually had a 619 <laughs> winning percentage in that span, which I also found interesting. Um, but yes, the Dodgers only have the one World Series title in that uh, time frame. They did also make three World Series trips and um, are, for all intents and purposes, in my mind, uh, a dynasty. What what I wanted to do, and I just I didn't have time to do it before opening day, and maybe if they get off to a good start, I'll revisit it in April. Is I wanted to make a list um, from one to one sixty two, and I wanted to find for each of those games to start a season what the best record is, right? So obviously there's a ton of teams that started out one and zero, two and zero, whatever. But at a certain point, you'll get to like you know through forty games, the best team uh, like the nineteen eighty four Tigers won thirty five of those games, right? And just like on a day by day basis track the Dodgers against the best possible record anyone has ever had through that amount of games. Um, no pressure though, guys. Like it's it's fine. It's fine if you're not that great. But their biggest problem is they have another very, very good team in that division, the San Diego Padres. My fact here is 62.2%. That is Fernando Tatis's hard hit rate from last year, which was the best in the majors. It was also the best in a season we have ever tracked in the StatCast era dating back to 2015 with a minimum of 150 batted balls. Better than Aaron Judge in 2019, better than Miguel Sano in 2019. Now, would he have kept that up over a full six-month season? I don't know. But the point is, this isn't just like, oh, he's a good hitter for a shortstop. Like, no, like this guy crushes the baseball, literally the best hard hit rate in baseball last year. And if you're wondering why I'm all in on Tatis, uh, it's a pretty good place to start. Uh, yeah, but in fact, though, the, the thing about the Padres that amazes me is that last year, the guy with the highest slugging percentage on the team with Will Myers with a 606 slugging percentage, one of only nine players to slug 600 last year. And their indications are that it was kind of real, at least in terms of that, like it was the batted ball qualities backed it up. In fact, his once his uh, he had the third highest jump in expected slugging among qualified hitters, um, 161 points behind only Corey Seager and Teoscar Hernandez. 
We talked a little bit last week about the Padres lineup. I'm a little skeptical of it after Tatis and Machado, and I think that you know Myers is is, is the you know the the proverbial X factor for that thing. If he if he can approximate what he did in 2020, um, they're they're running away with a playoff spot. But if he's kind of reverts to 2018, 2019, um, Will Myers, I I could see them. That's that's why I could see them underwhelming as I talked about last week. I'm cautiously optimistic, and I heard an interview with him a couple weeks ago where he basically said he prefers to be the third or fourth best guy in the lineup. You know, he's he's not necessarily comfortable with being the guy, as it seemed like he was going to have to be for a couple years. Um, I don't think he's as good as he showed, but I'm I'm pretty in on him. The Giants. So here's my number for the Giants: plus thirty one. Uh, I should note that I I borrowed this from an article in The Athletic by Eno Saris and Andrew Bagger. I just found it really interesting. Plus 31 points of weighted runs created plus. So 100 is league average, right? The Giants went from 83 in 2019, so well below average, to 114 last year, so well below average. That is the second largest year-over-year improvement by a team in the entire free agency era. And I really, as I've said a couple of times, I really like what the Giants are building. I like the process changes. I like how they have made guys better. I like how they have found guys who you know, were underappreciated elsewhere. I like that at the end of this year, they're going to, a lot of the contracts of like the remaining guys of the glory years are kind of coming up. So they're going to probably big, be big spenders in free agency, I would think. Uh, so I'm, I'm in like, you know, they're not going to win a lot of games this year, but I think if you just look at the wins and losses, you were kind of missing what they're doing. I agree with you, but from the process standpoint, I just don't find them that that, that interesting in terms of uh, watchability because of this. And I meant to get alluded to this last week. Sit thirty, as in thirty years old. Seven of the eight guys in their projected lineup are age thirty or older. I appreciate the fact that they were able to we were able to get a lot out of those guys, and they've turned around the careers of you know Mike Skrimsky most notably. But it's just it's kind of an old team. Um, they're just not that interesting. Mauricio Dubon is the only guy in his twenties in the starting lineup. Um, so. I'm waiting for Marco Luciano and some of the other uh, Helio Ramos, Ramos and some of the other prospects that are coming along. All right, we're halfway through our list. We're going to take a quick break and we will come back with the American League. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We are continuing our look at interesting stats for each team with the American League. Matt, let's go with the most interesting team in the American League, the Baltimore Orioles. Where do you want to start? I'm going to start with uh, 41.4, which is the sweet spot rate rate by Anthony Santander, which was fifth in the AL last year. Um, a sweet spot rate is batted balls between 8 and 32 degrees. So it's like, um, you know, 
balls that are likely to be a base hit. I also wanted to mention it because I don't know. Did you see the delightful story that Joe Trezza did about Anthony Santander? I did. Yes. And how he's like a, a cult hero among uh, uh, baseball fans in England. So the quick version of that is like there was some group of English school children. I don't like, remember. Basically boy, boy, the equivalent of like Boy Scouts. Okay, great. So they were on a, a trip to America and for whatever reason, they found themselves in the left field bleachers at an Orioles game one day. And, and Santander had caught like two balls in front of them. And then they he flew out to left and they booed the opposing left fielder just because they seemed to like him. And then he acknowledged them. And now it's a whole thing, which is like charming and delightful. And I, you know, sometimes... MLB has games in London. They tend to take like the Red Sox and Yankees, but please take the Orioles, please. <laughs> Last year was supposed to be the Cardinals and Cubs and it got canceled because of the pandemic and they didn't schedule it this year, but maybe next year. And it would not shock me, I got to say, if Anthony Sandander is not on the Orioles next year. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. Um, my fact here is plus 2.1. That is plus 2.1 miles an hour. That's the increase on John Means' fastball from 2019 to 2020. That's the third largest increase from 91.7 to 93.8. John Means had a really weird season last year. Um, I believe he had a death in the family. He had some injury problems. And when he came back, he, um, in his final month of the season, I think had four straight one-run starts. And I don't think he's great. I don't think he's going to be like a Cy Young contender or anything. But I find him really interesting. And if this team is going to have a turnaround like the Astros did, it can't just be like, top draft picks, you need like the Dallas Keuchel kind of guy who uh, improves while they're there. And I think that could be John Means. I'm I'm going to watch him pretty closely because, you know, <laughs> the Orioles are not going to be good this year. But he, if he takes that next step, could really be like maybe a part of the next good uh, Orioles team. Boston, Matt, you have a Bobby Dahlbeck hot fact. I just like players like Bobby Dahlbeck. I can't... There- you know, the, 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 the real three, three true outcomes, guys, I just always had a soft spot for them going back to like Rob Deere. Um, you've heard me, probably heard me speak affectionately about Joey Gallo on the podcast. Adam Dunn was a favorite of mine back in the day. And Bobby Dalbeck is carrying the torch. Last year, he had a 22% barrel rate, um, which is second only to Miguel Sano among batters with minimum 40 batted balls. Fernando Tatis Jr. was third. Of course, he also had a strikeout rate. Of 42.4%. 42%. Um, so when he hits the ball, he hits it hard. He's going to mash some taters. I'm not sure what he is, but I just enjoy players like Bobby Dahlbach. And the Red Sox are kind of meh, and he could really add some excitement. Yeah, the Red Sox are definitely kind of meh. They're the fourth best team in that division to me. But I did want to uh, highlight someone who I think is maybe somehow underrated, and that's Sander Bogarts. 16.8 war wins above replacement. So that's him from 2017 to 2020. That is the second most among shortstops in that time. Only Francisco Lindor. Now, I know that's unfair a little bit. Tatis wasn't up that whole time. And Seager got hurt and missed like an entire season. So fine. I don't really think that Bogarts is the second best shortstop in baseball. But he's really good. Like he crushes the ball. He's an uh, okay defender. He's not great. But I, I think we focus on all of these incredible shortstops. And we just sort of lose sight of how good he is. And you know, in a, if you look at the left side of the infield, him and Endeavors, that's still really good. Like, I don't think the Red Sox would be much, but I think those two guys will be great. The Yankees, um, here's, I like my Yankees fact, so I'm going to go with it. Seven for seven. So we have had six seasons of stack ass tracking. And in each of those six seasons, John Carlos Stan has had the hardest hit ball of the year, which is more impressive than it sounds like because he's barely played the last two years. And even so, he had the hardest hit ball of the year. And then again, as I said, We've had some stack catch tracking in spring training this year. Guess who had the hardest hit ball of spring training? 
John Carl is dead. <laughs> so in seven time periods where he could possibly have had the hardest hit ball, he has. And I don't think we needed technology to tell us that this man crushes baseballs. But I I like the idea that this has really just proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Like if we think, which I do, that everybody who plays now is bigger and stronger than everybody who played before, I don't think it's a stretch to say John Carlos Stan is the hardest hitting baseball man in the history of baseball. Up till now, I think that's I think that's uh, accurate. Speaking of hard hit balls, uh, I want to mention D- DJ LeMahieu, who does not hit the ball quite as hard as Stanton um, at the high level, but consistently does it as well as anyone. In fact. His 357 hard-hit balls over the last two seasons, that's hard-hit ball being bat a ball of 95 miles and above, is the most in baseball. Um, We're including postseason in this, but it just speaks to how consistently DJ LeMayhew hits the ball hard. And I talked about how Trevor Story must love what DJ LeMayhew has done since he's left uh, Colorado. And um, he, the Yankees needed to bring him back, needed to resign him, and they did because without him, um, they're not ALE's favorites with him. I shouldn't say they aren't clear Ailey's favorites with him, they are. I agree. I, I had a brief thought of wondering if they would move him to first base to cover for Luke Voigt, but it sounds like they're just going to play Jay Bruce. Um, but I also remember us talking about the fact that they didn't have very many left-handed hitters in their lineup, so maybe Jay Bruce will enjoy the short porch there. My next fact is for the Tampa Bay Rays, 17.5%. That is Brandon Lau's barrel per batted ball rate. So almost 20% of his batted balls end up being a barrel, and a barrel is the perfect combination of launch angle and exit velocity. It's what you want. So 17.5% last year was fifth best in baseball. And look at the names, right? He's behind Sano, Tatis, Soto, and Teoscar Hernandez. He is directly ahead of Bryce Harper, Eloy Jimenez, and Ronald Acuna. Those are names you want to be around. And I know he had a weird season. He crushed in the regular season. He was terrible in the postseason, but then he had a couple home runs in the, in the World Series. He's not 50% above average, but I think he can be like a consistent 25% above average bat. And if you get that... And if you get Randy Rosarena for a full year and you get the good version of Austin Meadows, which I think you can, I think people are sleeping on this Tampa Bay Rays offense. I talk a lot on this on this podcast about how the Rays always seem to kind of overperform a little. And my stat speaks to that. The Rays have 50 outs above average since we started tracking that stat at the start of the 2016 season. That is the best in baseball. The Reds, uh, the Red Sox are next at 48 outs above average. The Tigers are last at negative 67 outs above <laughs> average. Or should I say, I should say outs below. Maybe I should say yeah. outs below average. How much of that was just letting uh, Nicholas Castellanos play third base for a couple of years? <laughs> Regardless, the Rays year in and year out have an above average defense and it's a big part of who they are and what they do. Um, and yeah. I, I think that's actually more impressive than it sounds because Outs above average is built on catch probability, which is basically about distance and time. And we don't have a metric for this yet, but I would imagine that the the Rays probably do a very good job of positioning. But in theory, if you are outstanding at positioning and you have all your guys exactly where the ball is going to go, then it's hard to rack up outs above average because everything's super easy. You know, so the fact that they're still doing that, I think, says a lot about them. Our final team in the American League East. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Th- this one, by the way, is not my number, but I just had to say it because it's so weird. Um, we have 55 tracked pitches from Travis Bergen, and all 55 of them in spring training are four-seam fastballs, literally every single one. And I hope he does that in the regular season because it's just so weird. My actual fact here is 403. That is Lourdes Curiel's junior weighted on base average uh, over the last two seasons against non-fastballs, right? So against off-speed pitches, against breaking pitches. 403 is second best in baseball, the minimum of 100, behind only Mike Trout, 
ahead of Soto and Acuna and Dom Smith and Christian Yelich. And while I'm pretty down on the Toronto uh, pitching, I'm very in on their offense. And it's not just about like the famous sons of uh, former ballplayers. It's also about Teoscar Hernandez and Rowdy Telez and Lourdes Gurriel, who crushes breaking pitches and off-speed pitches like almost nobody else. One of the more divisive players on their team or in baseball at this point, I think, is Kevin Biggio, who has put up very good stats, but like his batted ball metrics are pretty underwhelming. Um, he was in the 26th percentile in exit velocity last year, um, 14th percentile in hard hit rate. Like it's not great, um, but he's in the 90, 92nd percentile in walk rate. And one thing that's interesting about Kevin Biggio is he doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone. In fact, 13.5% was his chase rate last year, which was the lowest in the majors among among uh, 260 hitters who saw at least 250 pitches out of the zone. So even though he's not necessarily hitting the ball as hard as other people, he's not, at, at, at the high end, he's not getting himself out. He's not chasing pitches. So it speaks to a little bit about how maybe he's a little bit better than the pure bat ball metrics um, suggest. But he's definitely one sort of interesting name to watch for the 2021 season for that reason. Yeah, I think you're right about him being divisive because what's confusing about him to me is, so as you'd expect, he has a phenomenal walk rate, right? A 16% walk rate in his career, as you'd expect from a guy who doesn't chase. But how does he still have a strikeout rate of nearly 30%? Like, I haven't quite figured that part out yet. Like, how how do you never chase bad pitches and still strike out so much? Is it just because he's getting blown away in the zone because he doesn't have the ability to hit the ball hard? I'm not sure entirely. And I don't really have a good answer to that. And I'm not sure you do either. (laughs) Let's go to the American League Central. The White Sox. My fact here is 200. That is the weighted on base average against uh, reliever Cody Hoyer. Um, That was actually the fourth best among relievers last year. I don't think he's the fourth best reliever in baseball, but he's really good. There were only 13 pitchers who threw 20 innings last year who were able to accomplish these two things, a ground ball rate north of 50% and a strikeout rate north of 27%. That's what you want, strikeouts and ground balls. And Cody Hoyer does it. You know, He throws like a 98-mile-an-hour two-seamer with movement. And as I think we've talked about before, you know, a lot of attention was paid to them getting Liam Hendricks is very good, but I actually kind of like the no-name bullpen they've got over there. You know, Aaron Bummer is very good. I like Matt Foster. I like Evan Marshall. And I like Cody Hoyer. I think this bullpen has the potential to be like surprisingly really good. My White Sox stat is kind of a mea culpa. On oh, Lucas yeah. G- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Four years ago when we did this exercise, wow, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. My White Sox stat was how um, – Giolito had a low spin fastball, and that's why he didn't miss bats, and that's why he was a big disappointment. Well, disappointment no more. Uh, in 2020, uh, Lucas Giolito had a 33.1% strikeout rate, strikeout rate, which was more than double his strikeout rate in 2018. He is a different pitcher than he was in 2018. He's been above 30% strikeout rate the last two years. Um, he's really leaned in on his fastball and his changeup. He's he's kind of he, he's like one of the, he like throws a changeup in the strike zone, and yet people can't hit it. Um, he's a really become a fun pitcher to watch. He seems like a really good dude. Um, so I went from being sort of like a what you might, you might call a Giolito hater to a huge fan. I'm glad to see him succeed the way he has. My fact for Cleveland is 26.2 wins above replacement for Jose Ramirez since 2016. That is tied with Christian Yelich for fourth best behind Trout, Betts, and Rendon. And I just always like pointing out how great Jose Ramirez is because I think of him as a top 
six or seven position player in baseball, I think. And I just don't feel like he gets that credit. And I know he had that weird slump in the middle where he tried to go the other way against the shift. And then his agent told him that was stupid. Just pound the baseball. And that's worked. Like he's incredible. And I feel like we're a year away, maybe from figuring out where he's going to get traded to. But for now, he's a superstar. And with him and Bieber and a couple of those other pitchers, it's why I'm not totally out on, on Cleveland just yet. It is weird to think of him as maybe being a little overrated when last year he finished second in the AL MVP voting. Well, underrated, right? Yeah. Sorry, underrated. Yeah. When last year he finished second, 2018 he finished third, and 2017 he finished third. But I yes, know. you're right. It, <laughs> it, still, it does still kind of feel like he's kind of uh, underrated. My number uh, for the Indians is eight, as in eight outs above average for Andres Jimenez, who's their new shortstop, the uh, who they got from the Mets in the Francisco Lindor trade. Um, I think that's a notable number because he was a part-time player last year, and he ranked fourth. Um in as above average, despite being a part-time player. And Jimenez is kind of like, I don't think he's ever going to be an extra base hit threat. You know, he's not going to hit with a ton of power, but he can get you OBP. He can uh, play really good defense and he's got a little bit of speed. He actually is like, you know, there's a chance of him being like kind of like a poor man's Francisco Lindor. I like him as a player. Yeah, I agree with you. And just poor Ahmed Rosario getting traded with Jimenez to block him at shortstop yet again. All right, my Tigers fact, I think, is interesting. And I'm going to tell you where I got this from. Um, Lynn Henning for the Detroit News is writing about Miguel Cabrera, and he asked me to help him with some numbers. So I did, and I'm going to use them here for my Tigers fact. Miguel Cabrera needs 13 home runs to get to 500. He needs 134 hits to get to 3,000. Only six players have done the 500-3,000 combination. He's going to get to the Hall of Fame no matter what he does. But I did some math trying to figure out if and when he could get there this year. So I averaged a bunch of projection systems and they all have him as hitting one home run every 30.9 plate appearances, right? So I did some math on that and I assumed he'd get like a day off per week and I think he will get to 500. Um, So the math actually says August 25th in St. Louis, but that's the last day of a road trip. No, they'll hold him back. They'll get him at home. I'm going to say August 27th against the Jays at home will be 500. And I don't think he's going to get to 3,000 this year because I, I think the projections would have him doing it like on the last day of the regular season and it's not going to happen. So 500 home runs at the end of August, 3,000 hits in 2022. My uh, my Tigers stat is about the guy who might be their next great hitter and that's Riley Green who had a, a double this spring with an exit velocity of 115.8 miles per hour which is the hardest hit ball by a Tigers player since StatCast began tracking in 2015. The previous high was Miguel Cabrera, 115.6 in 2015. Riley Green is a really interesting prospect. And now look, he was the number five pick in the 2019 draft, and I'm looking at that draft, and man, that looks like it could be a really interesting draft. Adley Rutschman, number one, Bobby Witt Jr., number two, Andrew Vaughn, number three, J.J. Bladé, number four to the Marlins. Riley Green, number five to the Tigers. C.J. Abrams, number six to the Padres. That has a chance, I know we're early, of being, I don't want to say this is an all-time great draft, but a it's rare when you look at the top six two years out and everyone still looks like a dude. Usually there's like one or two guys who started to like kind of fade off a little bit, but like we're two years out and every single one of those guys is still on track to be an impact player. So that is something something to watch. Yeah, that, that's how highly regarded Adley Rushman is, I think, because you could look at the five guys after him and not be regretful as Baltimore that you picked him because right? <laughs> like he's still he's going to be really good. The Royals, this is my Royals fact, 187, and that was the weighted runs created plus last September of Adalberto Mondesi. 
And I am obviously not putting too much weight into a September weighted runs created plus, but that was sixth in baseball last year behind. Hey, Jose Ramirez, Marcel Zuna, uh, Freddie Freeman, Cabrian Hayes, Jared Walsh, just ahead of Trout and DJ LeMahieu. I don't know what to make of Mondesi after all these years. He's been around for a while. Like he's really fast and he has shown at times the ability to hit for power. He's an okay defender, but they, um, they love him. And I think this is part of the reason that Bobby Witt is not up because, you know, they want to see what they have in Mondesi. And I, I don't know what to make of him yet, but I do think that the Royals are one of those teams where I'm not that high in them, but a lot of people are. And a lot of it's going to come down to what kind of player is Mondesi? You know, is he the just okay guy who flashes a talent or is he the guy we saw last September? Was that the start of the breakout? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, that September was ridiculous and it's hard to actually like, I mean, because last year was also ridiculous because of, you know, the weird schedule and a lot of like 4A players playing. But like in September, he hit 356, 408, 667 with six homers and 16 stolen bases. That's insane. <laughs> so nuts. But no one was really paying attention except for like fantasy players. But it was like, because that's 16 steals. Um, but yeah, it's um, if he's even like 80% of that, he's a superstar. So um, he's uh, he's in another like sort of interesting player to watch. Um, one of the running themes of baseball the last uh, few years is, you know, relief pitchers you've never heard of who come in throwing 100 miles per hour. Let me introduce you to Josh. I don't even know how to pronounce the last name. Is it Stomont? Stomont? Uh, yeah. uh, now I don't remember. <laughs> Josh Stomont last year had 89 pitches at 99 miles per hour or above behind only Jacob deGrom, a starting pitcher, and Bruce Tarr, greater all. Um, so just another one of those guys who you've like most people have never really heard of. I'm, I mean, I admit I follow baseball for a living and I'm only vaguely familiar with him and just know that he throws hard. I didn't realize he threw this hard. Yeah, um, I actually had saved off the uh, official pronunciation guide, so I have it now. It's, it's Josh Stamont. That's how you okay. say it. Um, so good for us. Uh, here's my twins fact. I think this one's kind of fun. My my twins number is 65. That is the outs above average difference um, over the last four seasons. At shortstop, between the Angels, who were plus 44, and the twins, who were minus 21. Why am I comparing them to the Angels? Because they have the Angels shortstop now. They have Andrelton Simmons, and they are moving Jorge Polanco over to second base, where his kind of weakish arm, I think, will play up a bit. And that's a big deal. You know, I don't think much of Simmons' bat anymore. I actually think maybe his fielding has backed up a little bit, but he's still very, very good. Uh, and that, that's going to be a big deal, I think, for the Twins on defense and for their pitchers, because as we've said before, Buxton is amazingly good. Josh Donaldson is very good. Max Kepler's pretty good. This could be a really good defensive team, you know, if those guys are healthy enough. My uh, twins fact is about Kenta Maeda. Um, his 0.75 whip in 2020 was the lowest by a qualifier in the live ball era since 1920, trailing only Pedro Martinez 0.74 in 2000. Yes, I know it was a weird season, 60 games, all that. But like when you're like number two on a list behind peak Pedro Martinez, well, that's just that's just cool. I'm all in on Kenta Maeda. We're going to move to the American League West. And I see no reason to be uh, dishonest with our listeners here. We're going to lightning round this a little bit because um, here in New York, it's spring break. And Matt and I both have kids who are not in school. And my wife has a meeting in this office in 10 minutes. So <laughs> let's go through the West. Sorry, Western fans. It's true. Houston, my fact here for the Astros, 383. That is Jordan Alvarez's projected weighted on base from Steamer. Fifth best in baseball, better than Bellinger or Bregman 
or Tatis. And I think because he didn't really play last year and because he's going to be a DH forever, basically, maybe we've forgotten about him a little bit. But if you remember what he did in 2019, he was immediately one of the greatest hitters in baseball. And I hope he stays healthy to do it again. Um, my fact is about Michael Brantley as 12%. That is the whiff rate by Brantley, which is the second lowest in baseball since the start of 2019. Michael Brantley is one of those guys who I think that if he had played in the 80s, people would think is like a Hall of Famer. He's just like a man from a different era. He will hit like 300, 360, like 470, like clockwork. He's a reliable hitter, um, but it's not, he's not really, he's a hitter of a different era. Uh, he did play in the 80s. His name was uh, Mickey Brantley. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, here's my Angels fact. I have a very hot take for you. Mike Trout is very good. My fact for the Angels is 90-90. Only three players in baseball last year were in the 90th percentile or better in both hard hit and sprint speed. Who hits the ball hard and runs very fast? Three players, you might have heard of them. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna, and Mike Trout. And there's probably a larger discussion to be had about whether this is the last year that Trout is the unquestioned best player in baseball, which I sort of think it is. But that's an extra problem. This year, Mike Trout remains unbelievable. Please get to the playoffs. Please. Uh, it has been well documented that uh, Shohei Otani was really bad last year as both a hitter as a pitcher. But he did stand out at the plate in one way. He had five home runs on pitches at 95 plus miles per hour. That was tied for the league lead with Josh Bell, Jose Abreu, and George Springer. And part, what's most amazing is he only had seven home runs and five of them were off pitches at 95 miles per hour or above. Um, he's trying to pitch and hit again this spring. It's looked a little bit better. He's actually been pitching in games where he's in the lineup, which is kind of cool. They, they seem to kind of be saying, like, if we're going to do it, let's go out and let's just let's go all in on it. Of course, last night he he was pitching and he was in the lineup and he got, had to leave with a blister and he was pretty terrible. So who knows how it's going to play out this year. Um, I've been on record as being skeptical that he's going to be able to pull it off. I'm hoping that he does. My my heart says yes, let's do it. My my brain says I don't think it's possible, but uh, we shall see. That said, if he ends up just being just a hitter, which seems like if he's going to do one or the other, that's where it's going to be. There are still a lot of indications he can be a difference maker as quote unquote just a hitter. Yeah, it stinks. The the first and only time I got a chance to sit down and watch him pitch was last night against the Dodgers, and he did not look very good at all. Um, but yeah, I. I and with you on on the hitting, by the way, I got a big kick out of like when he was in the lineup hitting on Daisy pitched and everybody's like, wow, can you imagine that? Meanwhile, every National League pitcher for the last 100 years is like, oh, wow, wow, that's wow. <laughs> um, Oakland. OK, this one's a little wonky. I have to explain it briefly. My number here is 3.7. Um, we have a tool on Baseball Savant that uh, for every pitch type, so like, you know, someone's fastball, someone's curveball, you can attach a run value to it. And it's not just based on the end of at-bats. I think other sites do it. And it's only about, did you get a strikeout? You know, did you give up a hit or whatever? This one is based on every pitch because like there's value in getting a strike. You know, there you lose value in giving a ball, right? So what you can do it is you can count it up by uh, the raw value so that the most valuable pitch in baseball last year was the Nelson Lamette's slider because it was very good and he threw it a lot. But if you do it on a rate basis, uh, you know, per 100 pitches, that's a little better for guys who are relievers and didn't pitch as much. Anyway, Trevor Rosenthal, new Oakland closer, his fastball, his four-seamer, was the second most valuable fastball in baseball last year uh, with a minimum of 50. And I think, um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about how they let Hendricks go. Well, I'm really in on Rosenthal getting past his problems and being the guy he looked like last year. And I think that's like kind of a decent replacement. And once again, as we do every year, we were ignoring the A's. 
and sleeping on the A's, and they're going to win 97 games. I guarantee it. There's there's definitely, I think, you know, there's some some A's fatigue in the sense that they just kind of like, kind of always seem to overachieve with like, I don't want to say anonymous group of players because they have some really good players like the one I'm about to mention, but it just, it never feels like that like exotic or exciting. But that said, since the start of 2018, Matt Olson's hard hit rate of 50.4% is the fourth highest among players with at least 500 batted balls. The only guys ahead of him are Aaron Judge, Nelson Cruz, and Christian Yelich. So Matt Olson, it, he's you know he never seems to really pull it together for a full season, but it feels like it's going to happen one of these years, and maybe this will be that year. They 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 kind of need it because um, you know they've lost they lost some talent over the uh, the off season, and uh, they kind of need him to kind of rise to his peak ability or something close to it. Matt Olson was rated, I don't remember where, on the top 100 players in baseball list that MLB Network did recently. And I was speaking to a somewhat prominent baseball on-air person who was disappointed that Matt Olson showed up because he only hit 195. And he expressed that as being one of the problems with baseball today. And I'm like, come on, he crushes the ball. He's an elite first baseman. He might be the best defensive first baseman in baseball. I don't care that he hit 195 in like a two-month season. He's still very good. And I agree with you on that. Here's uh, the Seattle Mariners, who I think are going to be an interesting team this year. My number is 180. That is the difference between Yusei Kikuchi's ERA, which was 517, not very good, and his expected ERA, which is 337. Expected ERA, uh, StatCast metric is based on strikeouts, walks, quality of contact, you know, the whole thing. He also increased his fastball velocity from 92.5 to 95. And when I did a whole exercise looking at pitch movement and shapes and everything, um, one of the num- one of the the other left-handed fastballs <laughs> that came up in Kikuchi's comparisons was Blake Snell, and I don't think he's Blake Snell, but he's a lot more interesting than I thought he was, and I think he's definitely better than a five seventeen ERA pitcher. The Mariners could be a decent run prevention team this year because of um, Kikuchi's uh, potential emergence, and also their infield defense. Um, Evan White last year led first baseman with six outs above average, and J.P. Crawford, their shortstop, was second among shortstops with seven outs above average. So they've got two elite defenders on their infield. Um, White, his uh, off his uh, season at the plate was, uh, I'll be charitable and say, uh, <laughs> underwhelming, but um, <laughs> the defense is there. There's some there's some reasons that he'll he'll be a passable hitter, and the defense is, is excellent. And if their outfield prospects pan out, you know, they won't necessarily need Evan White to hit like a classic first base masher if he can be, you know, essentially the, the best defensive first baseman in the league. And finally, the Texas Rangers. And Matt, why don't you leave us with your fact about Kyla Gibson, who is apparently starting on opening day for the Texas Rangers? Since the start of 2017, Kyle Gibson has a 48.8% whiff rate on his slider. That is the second best in baseball behind only Max Scherzer. I think this is especially relevant for Gibson this year because he has he is on a on the he's in year two of a front-loaded three-year contract. He's making three nine million this year and seven million in 2022. And I think that if he can do anything resembling what he's done the last couple of years, he is going to be a fantastic trade piece for the Rangers at the deadline this year because he will not be a rental. You could have him for 2022 at an extremely reasonable contract for a pitcher of his ability. That is wildly optimistic, <laughs> and I appreciate it. And our final fact, and um, I liked your I liked your Joey Votto fact so much that I just brazenly stole it. 2008, the same year, was also the last time that the Texas Rangers had an opening day shortstop who was not Elvis Andrus. Do you remember who that was? I think it was Michael Young. 
Hey, hey, look at that. Look at both of us remembering opening day lineups from 2008. This is the fourth time in five years, um, Matt, that we have done this. And every year I enjoy going through it. And every year I underestimate how much work it takes to put it together. So uh, thank you for doing it with me. A quick and uh, fond farewell to our producer, Danny G, who is leaving us for bigger and brighter things. And he has made us sound a lot better over the last year, including such things as reminding me to finish the show with this, which I'm going to do. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Please enjoy opening day. We will catch you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.